0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about a few different things, plus have kind of like a mini little interview. So I will talk a little bit about my email list and autoresponder. I'll give you kind of a broad overview. And um, while well, I've been a little bit lazy in a couple areas, so that topic exposes that pretty clearly, but there's a, there's a pro, <laughs> there's a positive aspect to it, or at least we're going to spin it that way. We're also going to talk about my organizational skills, which is just me bragging about how good I am at something. So that's going to be fun. And I'll also talk about email list growth in general and how I have been able to grow my email list a little bit more effectively in the last, I don't know, month or two. And I'll explain all the details. You can go and kind of analyze this. You maybe joined my email list in the last little stretch because of some of the things that I have done recently. So I'll share that. The email stuff, of course, ties together. And then I'll also roll a short interview from Denise. So Denise is uh, someone who is in my course, it's called Multi-Profit Site, and we're doing a coaching case study together over the next year or so. And we'll get into um, some of the details of her background, but the thing is I recorded a, a shorter interview with Denise, it's about 15 minutes long or so, and those tend to do a little bit better on the YouTube side. I... Want to use all the content that I can and repurpose it and republish it in different ways. So, if you're listening on the audio side, that's great. I love the audio people. I'm an audio person myself. I mostly listen to podcasts on audio, not on YouTube. The YouTube side, you guys are great too. Different market, different um, sort of viewers in general. But the thing is, a lot of people do just use YouTube as a podcast player, especially if you have YouTube Premium, you can just like turn off the screen, put it in your pocket, you can download stuff. I have YouTube Premium myself, but I just don't use YouTube as a podcast listener. Anyway, the point is I'll be publishing like this full normal podcast episode on the audio version as normal. On YouTube, I will publish it on uh, sort of the full version as well, but I'll also have a segment as sort of a clip Where it'll just be Denise's interview and nothing else. So I'm experimenting essentially like doubling up and republishing things in different formats, different links with a different intro and a different outro and see how it goes. It turns out I'm not too precious with YouTube and I try not to, uh, you know, cater to the algorithm too much, which uh, ultimately hurts my. Uh, number of views and watch time and number of subscribers however it keeps me sane and it keeps me from burning out and it also means i do what i think is the best thing for the viewer the consumer on the other side the listener and myself and if if i had to rank it i actually i think of myself over the listener oh you know what it's really close because i i mean i would not I wouldn't even produce these if it wasn't for the listener so I guess the listener or the viewer does rank a little bit higher but I consider my own sort of the sustainability of this whole thing is a very high level so I don't want to burn out I don't want to produce content that I'm not happy with or that is a drag or that I just don't enjoy I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of people that could be on the show and I could interview them, and they could bring value, but I'm just not interested in the topic area. And sometimes these even come in via a warm introduction, and like I know who they are, but it's just like the wrong topic area, and I just don't give a shit about it. And I don't want to interview someone if I don't care. It'll come through uh, very very clearly that I'm not into it. Now, if you're watching on the video side, you'll notice that I'm wearing one of my melanzana hoodies here with a hood on. And in many places, you know, it's starting to warm up. But and actually here in in the Denver area, it's warming up a little bit. But I'm in my basement and there's a vent right over my head and it kind of blows and makes my head cool. And the thing is, I had the, the hood on and the headphones on over it. And I was like, it looks kind of dumb. I should take this off. You know, I'm shooting a video here and everything. And then I realized that the only time I seem to get comments is if I wear something weird, like I wore a hoodie a few months ago and it was red. It was very bright red and very, just really bright. I mean, it really was a saturated color and there were like 30 comments about how I looked silly. So, this is apparently how I'm pandering to the algorithm and it's at my own expense because people unfortunately are going to make fun of me. In fact, right before I started recording this, someone left a comment on a recent video and they were, I'm not sure if they were making fun of me or if it was an actual compliment about the hat that I was wearing. But I mean, the fact is my head gets cold, I'm bald. You know, you got to keep this thing covered up, whether I'm in the sun or, if I'm in a cool basement, I'm covering my head. So anyway, i'm wearing I'm wearing a hood uh, for the people that are just listening. It looks great. Just imagine you know a sexy, bald man with a hood on like that. That's what it and some headphones over it. That's what uh, the people on YouTube see. So that's what we're gonna do today. And the I, if I got my dates right, yeah, sure do. So if you're listening to this the week, that the episode comes out, that'll be April 17th through, I believe, the 21st, my course, Multi-Profit Site, is open for enrollment. I don't talk about it too often, especially on the podcast. And, you know, part of the reason is the course is not open for enrollment all the time. I open it up four times per year, quarterly. So it's, I mean, you could mark your calendar if you want. It's January, April, and uh, July, and then October. And that's, That's kind of the cadence. I've been doing it for several years and you can't enroll uh, during a non-enrollment period. So I just open it up and I close it down. I used to do the evergreen funnel kind of stuff where it was a true deadline, but there was extra software and I was like, I'm just going to simplify things. So I did simplify it. I just launched these four times, but I don't talk about it enough. From the case studies that I cover and the success stories that I cover, I hope those are a good example that these types of niche websites or content websites in general are still getting traffic, people are still reading them, and I believe these will still be around in the future, even with AI coming out. AI content being a lot more prominent, people using AI for different things. There's chatbots out there, Bard from Google, we have ChatGPT, there's uh, Bing, and I guess it's ChatGPT as well under under the hood there. But overall, I still think these sites are going to be around. And I'll probably do a full episode because I have um, one of my coaching students, um, I'll just Mention his uh, first name. I'll call him Van. So Van is um, a student. We've had a few coaching sessions. He's he's had you know kind of a roller coaster ride uh, working on niche sites. He acquired a site, ended up selling it, and he posed a question. I was like, hey man, can I help you with anything? And he was like, ah, you know, I can see a difference already in the landscape of the content site world since chat GPT and just the various AI tools, um, becoming more advanced and people using them. And, you know, his, his view is like, he can see a difference in say a one year period. And he was like, ah, what do you, what do you think it's going to do now? Like I said, I'll do a whole episode, but largely I think things are going to move, um, in some direction, but, How vague is that, right? It's going to move in some direction. Things are going to move um, towards um, more AI content for sure. As far as what the visitors to the websites are going to do, I'm not sure. Or, you know, they have a different choice, right? They could go to a chatbot and see what it says. But I think once people get burned um, by trying to use a chatbot to like say make a choice on what phone to get for example if they follow the instructions from a a chat bot it's probably not going to be the latest and greatest phone all the information is going to be out of date and unless you can get up-to-date information from the various manufacturers websites or maybe a niche website that does have accurate information then you really don't know how accurate it is. So the use case that I'm describing is I go over to some chat bot and I say, what phone should I get? I use AT&T and then they recommend an iPhone 11 and the latest iPhone is like the 14 or 15 or whatever. Then I will be misled and I will, like I said, if I actually buy an iPhone 11, I'll think, well this information was wrong i just bought like a a phone that is not the latest and greatest and they would go back to real websites that have real information that is not um you know predictive text that is not an ai so we'll see how it goes i mean things will change the content will be different there'll be um there'll be a lot of differences but i have a feeling things might sort of uh shift quickly and then kind of swing back in the other direction and be a little more stable. The other thing is, you know, people are sort of reluctant to change. And even though in our little bubble, a lot of us are trying to use AI, we are, you know, up to date on Google algorithm updates. Like most of the world doesn't know about any of this stuff. So we are talking about it a lot and if you um, forget that you're in a little bubble, you are not, I guess you're going to miss some stuff, right? You're going to you're gonna think that everyone is exposed to all the same things, but they're not. Most people don't know what the hell we're talking about at all most of the time. And even some of my friends that are pretty high tech and they're aware of like ChatGPT or MidJourney or some of the other uh, SEO details that we talk about every single day, they still haven't spent much time. They're just seeing a few headlines. They'll play around for 15 minutes with one of the tools, and then they won't look back for a little while. And then, you know, I'll, I'll see someone and I'm like, Hey, have you done this? I've done like these eight things. And then they realize that there's a a much larger capability with some of the tools if they apply it in the right way. So All that to say, I'll probably do an episode where maybe I look more specifically at certain areas around SEO content, different monetization methods. I mean, things are going to change, but I think it might be a little slower than, than we think based on all the new tools and all the hype. And I hate hype. And I'm part of the problem with this, but I am actually using many of these tools. so. Okay, let's move on to the autoresponder stuff. So I got an email uh, recently where someone said, hey man, like I, I'm on your email list and the content is good, but it's kind of, it's a little bit old, right? Like it sounds like this was a few years ago and I go check it out and I have the dates listed on uh, many different, post that I send people to or of course the videos have the date that the actual video published so people can see that this shit is from like you know 3 years ago or 5 years ago or some of them are like 6 or 7 years ago which is crazy cuz it feels like I just started the blog not that long ago but I started niche site project in 2013 so the fact is uh when I first started the blog I had very you know little content like all of us I had um like three posts that I launched with, and that was it. Like people talk about like launching and like making sure you have enough content. I launched with like three posts and was trying to get people to check it out. Like it was, it was very very sparse. And slowly over time, I published often for a lot, For a little while, I published like once a week, and then um, tapered down to a you know a pace where I hardly publish anything. I haven't written anything on my own in a really long time. At least not that I published on the blog. And I published some case study updates, but those are written by my students. So very, very interesting. I went from just producing, you know, a, a blog post or two per week for a long time. And then now I hardly publish it all. So one of the big things was sending people to those blog posts that I wrote. So I created an autoresponder series under, well, the tool doesn't matter. Most tools have an autoresponder or a sequence of emails that you can send out based on, you know, when someone signs up and then maybe like they get an email right away and then you can schedule it however many days you want in between. Sometimes you can make a kind of a complicated schedule, but a lot of people, they'll send out like one email per week or one email per month. And I actually created an autoresponder series that I think had like 30 to 45 emails in there. I had enough blog posts and enough content where I could send people to different stuff for almost a full year if I sent out an email per week, which was pretty cool. I knew that my blog was going to get traffic to various posts because I was sending people to those spots. And I knew those were the best, uh, the sort of the greatest hits because I was able to see the traffic levels of basically over time, I could see just the analytics and where traffic was going. So maybe an indication of how well the post was ranking, but generally those aligned with the popularity or the quality of the post. So I would just send people to those different spots and it would build trust and they could, you know, get to know me. Some of them were more personal. Um, Sometimes in the autoresponder, I wasn't sending anyone to a post or a video. It was just like the piece of content was within the actual email. So I experimented with a lot of different styles, some long emails, some short ones, really tried everything. And like I said, I have neglected it in a while and this, this, or for a while, and this is one of the things One of the maintenance pieces. So if you have a blog for a while, eventually you're going to need to audit it. You're going to need to go through and figure out what's irrelevant, what's old, what is low quality, what is just completely irrelevant, and no one is going to read it. And if they do, they're going to think why did Why did Doug even write this thing? Similar, if you have an autoresponder, you should go through and update it from time to time. I would say, you know, every six months is probably a good cadence to have a look. Maybe every quarter, depending on how many emails you have in your autoresponder and how much content you're publishing and that sort of thing. And what I have done is um, the opposite of what I just said. So, I had the autoresponder huge... And when I moved over to a different email platform, so I was with AWeber, which was great. I actually still use AWeber for another email list that I have. AWeber, totally fine. And I moved over to Kajabi, which is like a full marketing suite course platform. It has a ton of stuff plus the email. You can host your website there. You can put a podcast there. There's like coaching and community. They really have like almost everything in there. And I would say like from a course platform standpoint it is maybe one of the best in class for the rest it's good enough so there's some things that i don't love about the email system or the the website and funnel design but it does the job and i'd rather have fewer tools that are all all un- integrated like in one system than like 10 different tools that are all best in class so anyway it ends up being a little cheaper too versus putting it all together So when I moved over to Kajabi, it presented an opportunity to clean up my autoresponder series. So I went from whatever, 40 some odd emails to I think like 20. So I I got rid of stuff that was irrelevant. I only kept the very best. I had years of data. This is the cool part. I had years of data to see, you know, which emails had the biggest or the highest open rate the highest click through rate so it was very clear what was the best content and what was you know basically the best email so i just moved those over and even then so right i had the analytics to back it up but even then i looked through it and there were a handful of those that were kind of not relevant so essentially i took my you know the, the best shit and then moved that over and then i got the email and someone pointed out hey man these seem pretty good, but it's kind of old. Is it still relevant? Are you just not updating it? Like I really, like, I'm not sure what to make of it. And the person, it was a great email because they were afraid that it was, um that I may take it as a criticism, but I, I didn't. I mean, it's hard to get good feedback. And it actually reminded me, I mean, this has been on my list for, um I don't even want to look back at my notebook to see how long I've, been say oh, I should look back at the autoresponder. But basically, I'm going to do it before too long. So I think once I get past this course launch period, I will go back through and I will review the emails that I have. And it, like I said, I think there's about 20. I think my goal now is to have about, I was going to say 10. I want to half it again. And basically, I'm probably going to keep maybe the best 25% we'll say 20 well 80 20 this thing right so maybe I'll keep the best 20% of the emails which those will be the cream of the fucking crop right so I've whitt- I whittled it down from like 40 some odd emails to about five so those are going to be the very best emails then I have data from the last say 10 months or so And I could just pick the best emails from the last 10 months and then put those in the autoresponder. Again, I think I want to have 10 or 12 in the autoresponder series currently. And then after that, I can, like I said, maybe every six months or quarterly, I could revisit it. I could kick off some of the old stuff, bring in some of the new. And it's, it's a bit of a, honestly, it is a bit of a struggle currently now because I do have a large amount of content and if I'm really whittling it down, I'm going to end up throwing out some content or some emails that's actually pretty good. So I have to be strict with myself and get rid of stuff that's pretty good in favor of keeping the the great stuff. One other thing to throw in, which I, I just thought of here is I've been sort of like reinvigorated from a content and writing standpoint, from listening to Derek Sivers. So Derek Sivers was featured in I think the second edition of the Four-Hour Work Week. And then he's been on a lot of podcasts in the last several years. And I didn't realize it, but I I must have really taken a lot of cues from Derek and listened to a ton of the interviews, you know, read his section in the four-hour work week and like heard him say a few things that I just kind of adopted and tried to shape my life and my business from the lessons that he was sharing. When I went back to read some more of his content, I saw like he's, he writes in a similar way as uh, Seth Godin. So, you know, short blog post, short, punchy sentences, and no longer than it needs to be. Very strong editing, like amazing writer, communicator. And I listened to a couple interviews with him, and then I downloaded a bunch more. And then I realized he released a few books that I didn't pay attention of or pay attention to. They are from his blog, but he consolidated them and packaged them up into books. So, I bought all of his books, four of them, and they are certainly in a Seth Godin style, I think. Again, the style of writing is reminds me of Seth, but the length of the books as well. So, a lot of business books, especially like the major publishers, you know, there are 200 400 pages, something like that. I don't know what the sweet spot is. It's probably like 200 to 250 or so. And Derek's books are about 100 pages. Some of, you know, give or take, but it's like Seth Godin's books, which there's a stack of, of books behind me. And if you look really close, you can see it's like, I think I have like 14 of Seth Godin's books or something like that. So they're short. They're as long as they need to be. And usually they're about 100 pages. There's no bullshit in there. It just gets to the point. There's very little redundancy or, you know, when you read a book and you you realize it could have been four blog posts, not 200 pages, these are the right length. So anyway, the reason why it ties in is I was looking at the style of writing and I have, you know, more or less found my voice, but I definitely enjoy when I have experimented writing those shorter punchier sentences in the new email autoresponder series that I'm talking about, I will probably try to do that as a bit of a writing exercise to see how it goes to see, you know, can I make these shorter? Like what extra stuff did I put into this email? Because, you know, I wrote a first draft and then kept it for eight years without editing it again. So I'm going to go back and Treat it as a writing assignment and an editing assignment. You know, writing is mostly editing. It's mostly editing. All right, so that's the autoresponder. And I'm going to talk about the email list growth now too, since we're talking email, and then we'll wrap it up with organizational skills, which um, is kind of a, that's an in-progress thing. So I'm not sure how it's going to shape out in the future, but the... um, email list growth is pretty cool. So I've been talking more about chat GPT because I've actually been using chat GPT and I've been testing things and experimenting and it's been really cool. I've enjoyed it. It, again, it kind of reinvigorated me to create YouTube videos and do things that I wasn't just like emulating someone else. I wasn't um, like putting my own spin on just like the same regurgitated ideas over and over again. And this is what was about to happen. I was like, "Ah, I need to do some email or I need to do some more videos here. And I'm just going to redo the video about creating an Amazon affiliate site, but I'm just going to update it. And that maybe needs to be done, but it's just a little boring to me. And, you know, the nuts and bolts are largely the same. It's just like, I have a different studio now and I'm using the same, uh, camera and stuff, but it just looks a little different. And maybe I just talk about it a little bit more, but I would literally just be like pandering to the YouTube algorithm, trying to get people to watch my newly updated video, even though there's no new content in there. So I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I don't, I don't really want to do that. And luckily I procrastinated long enough so that I can get interested <laughs> in uh, chat GPT. The point being, I am actually interested in it. The thing that I've, you know, I've actually learned a few things in the past few years, and one of them is if you um, want people to sign up for your email list, you usually need like a little freebie. Lead magnet is sort of the common term. A better version of a lead magnet is what they call a content upgrade, where the content that the person is consuming would be upgraded by the specific lead magnet that you provide. So usually. It's like a resource or a tool that helps someone do something faster, cheaper, or easier. One type of content upgrade that works really well across the board, it doesn't matter what industry you're in or what the topic is, it's a cheat sheet. The reason why cheat sheets work really well is while cheat is in there. So people are like, oh, wow, I'm going to have like a little shortcut here. Typically cheat sheets are short. They're one pagers, right? Cheat sheet, not cheat sheets. Um, I, I actually, uh, mine's more than one page, but I just call it a cheat sheet to keep it simple. So the cheat sheet is typically short, right? So even if it's five pages like mine, it's short. And the reason why that's so important is people get value from it as quickly as possible. So. They can see on the one page, there is information. It's easier for them to use because they don't have to go through like a long video course, for example, or even worse, an ebook. An ebook takes so much time to read and people are lazy and they download the PDF and they never look at it again. And sure, they felt like they got a little value, but they never actually used it. The awesome thing with the AI cheat sheet, the prompt engineering cheat sheet that I created is it goes hand in hand with the content that I created about ChatGPT. So I could say, here, you could do this cool stuff with ChatGPT here, look over my shoulder while I'm doing it. Here is the thought process. Here's the mindset that you can have when you're thinking about it. And by the way, if you want to, you know, see all the prompts that I used, you could just go over here and download it for free. And it's worked awesome. So I've been able to put together an email list of, I think it's about, uh, I think it's like 1,200 at this point or something that is just around AI and prompt engineering. So at first, I wasn't sure if I wanted to just like lump all the subscribers into the niche site project area related to SEO and affiliate marketing. It was, I mean, things were already sort of divided. So it was easy for me to like keep people separate if I wanted to, but I was like, ah, I'm, I'm going to try to just keep them together if I can. But I realized it was, you know, a different, a different audience and some of the people don't want to be on both. So I probably will have a little cross pollination just to test it. You know, a lot of times there is some overlap, but yeah, looking at the stats here, it's yeah, 1400 people that I have grown the list in just. A few months here and it's really sort of accelerated in the last few weeks so it was a little slow at first and it took a couple iterations but now it's sort of going along and, and the thing is currently right now I haven't um, gotten into a specific schedule of publishing chat GPT content and I'll, I again I don't want to get burned out. So I will probably still do it at my own cadence. I'll do a video when I'm compelled to do a video. A lot of times it'll end up being like a set of videos, I think, because when I'm prepping, it's pretty easy for me to get into the mindset of, all right, let's do some outlines. Okay. Let's do some over the shoulder stuff. Let's, uh, do the, the talking head intros and all that. And I could do several videos at once ship it off to the editor and then publish at my leisure. So that'll probably be what it's like versus me thinking all right, I got to publish something every every week or whatever. And the cool thing is I do see some YouTube channels that sprang up in the last, you know, say 2 months or so and the growth is amazing. It's so cool to see a brand new channel, handful of videos and they're they're experienced, right? So they they have YouTube channels already. They know what they're doing. They're good marketers and they're good creators. And then they happen to apply their skills just at the right time to catch the wave. And like they have, you know, whatever, a hundred thousand subscribers in just a couple months monetizing super quick. The thing that is frustrating at times is like, I'll watch, there's a couple of channels I could think of where the people are crushing. And I'm like, I'm learning a ton. It's great. There's a couple of them where I'm like, this is not that good. It's a little regurgitated. And I'm, I'm like, how is this channel doing so well? But they have some mat, like not magic, but they have some chemistry with the content. Again, most of the people doing this, it's not their first YouTube channel. It's like their fifth. So, like, they know what they're doing. They know how to title a video. They know how to keep keep people engaged and all that stuff. So, pretty cool. But it's working well for me. I'm going to keep leaning into it. I'm going to continue to not get burned out. That is always a key thing. So, we got two more segments coming up. Next one here is uh, the organizational skills. So, this is kind of a a thing that i don't know if it's going to work but i have observed this a couple times in myself and it is uh it's definitely one of the skills that i have so i'll report back in a few months but here here's the general idea is i had an idea for a panel at a conference so there's a conference called FinCon it's for financial uh creators, whether it's like a podcast, a blog, YouTube, social media, any kind of creator that's related to personal finance. There's a lot of financial independence folks as well, but it's finance in general. And I have gone the last two years and I'll be going again this fall in New Orleans. I think it's in October sometime. So I thought about a panel and I was like, well, I want to get people that are better than me, basically. (laughs) So if I sit on a panel with people that are like way more accomplished, like that kind of lifts me up. Hopefully it doesn't pull them down because they're all going to be awesome, but hopefully it'll lift me up. And the thing is, people are kind of busy and it's kind of a pain in the ass to organize shit. And panels are a little bit different because you have to wrangle Um, a few other people, right? At least someone has to be the wrangler. And, you know, a lot of times people don't want to make decisions. People don't want to drive things. They don't want to have the back and forth, but turns out because of my project management background, that's like pretty normal for me, right? To schedule something, try to get a consensus and move forward. So like it actually fits pretty well. And I had an idea to have a panel on podcasting. So, one cool thing is I am generally not a dick. So, I was able to make friends with people who, like I said, are are better than me. So, they have bigger shows, right? That's the idea. They have bigger shows than me, and I was like, "You know what? I have an idea. I could probably ping a handful of people and then see if they're interested. And if they're not, I could just find someone else. I know enough other people." So, I pitched it to a couple folks, texted a few people, and they were like, yeah, cool. That sounds good. Let's do it. So I put together notes on the panel. I had like an initial seed of idea of what we would cover, which was relatively straightforward. And in fact, no one had any, I was like, do you have any other ideas that we should put in there? And I didn't get any other suggestions. So it was comprehensive enough. I was accepted uh, back in the the COVID days to do a a uh, it was a virtual talk for FinCon. So I, I at least have the mechanics of pitching a talk and then getting it accepted. And by the way, the video thing was much easier because I just recorded it here and then sent it in, and some people watched it, and then that was it. I didn't have to get nervous on stage or whatever. So anyway. I still have to compile some information. But the idea here is like I saw an opportunity where I have some friends and I was pretty sure that they would sit on a panel with me and it's a pain in the ass to organize stuff. So I was like, hey, I want to do this. Here's my proposal. Do you want in or not? And, you know, I had a couple folks buy in um, and then I was able to go to other people and I said, oh, well, I got these other two folks that want to do it as well. So if if you're interested and, you know, they saw the other names, they were like, cool, like I, I would do it too. And it, is, it remains to be seen if it's going to work or not. I there's, there's some, you know, some things up in the air, but they just opened it up and I will be able to submit it. The cool thing with a lot of uh, different conferences, that's what they're called, a lot of different conferences, is you can pitch several talks if you want to. So I'm going to pitch some. Uh, of my own potentially, I, I I like I get I don't I, I will get nervous if I actually have to do a talk, but if it's something that I like I know what I'm talking about, it's not nearly as bad. And I I think the kind of talk that I would give I'm trying to remember I went to a few talks like this, I think at max it would be like two hundred couple hundred people or so if the room is full, and I mean that would certainly make me nervous, but there'll be a lot of friendly faces out there, but. I haven't decided if I want to pitch like an individual talk or not, just from, from the stress and enjoyment level, but we'll see. Cause it is a good challenge and I do want to be a better communicator. And if you're able to give a talk in front of like a couple hundred people, then, you know, if, if you have to, if you have to do it again, you know, that you have done it before and it shouldn't be as, um, stressful just in a general sense. The other idea here and, and the reason why I'm mentioning it. I said I was just going to talk about how I'm good at that kind of thing. But a quick other example is I put together mastermind groups. So when I first started working online, I ended up in mastermind groups with people that were way more advanced than me because I was the one organizing it. And I pulled together as a group, but I was able to learn so much from other people because I was willing to be the hub and pull other people together. And I have heard other folks doing this. So I'm sure I heard someone talk about this same concept. And I was like, oh shit, I could I organize meetings all the time. I can facilitate it. I can make sure it runs on time, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, "I'll, I'll do that for sure. So I've done this again and again, applying it in different situations like this panel. One thing that I have struggled with on this and in fact, as I was pulling it together, as I mentioned, I'm trying to get people that are that are better. That's a that's a derogatory, self-deprecating way for me to say it. I don't mean it that bad, but this is what's going on in my head. I'm getting people that are better than me to sit next to me, so it'll make me seem cooler, right? That's that's the whole idea, right? Mm-hmm. Then when I'm walking around in the conference or whatever people are like, oh yeah, Doug was on the panel with these other people who are obviously awesome. So Doug must be awesome also. So that's what I want to happen. However, imposter syndrome is still very real. And the thing is, um, I actually have done some interesting stuff and I do have a couple podcasts. So I shouldn't feel like I'm inferior to the peers that are sitting with me up there. But in my head, I'm still still thinking that. And in fact, I know, um, another, um, person who's actually not going to be on the panel. He, he's not going to FinCon, but you know, I, I've listened to a show for many years. I won't, I won't mention who it is, but I've listened to his show for many years, was able to meet him in person at a conference called economy. And I mean, his show is h- huge, very huge show, cool dude. And, you know, f- Felt like I knew him because I've listened to hundreds of his episodes. But the cool thing is he listens to uh, my other show, Mile High fi So, he actually felt like he knew me as well. But I mean, he has been doing um podcasts for, I don't know, six, seven years. Again, huge podcaster, like many millions of downloads. And, you know, he has the same, you know, sort of imposter syndrome still. And... Yeah, just super interesting. And he's one of the people who I was like, hey man, would you sit on the panel? He won't be able to make it for various reasons, but I hope uh, you know, someday we'll do some collaboration together. But anyway, should be cool. And I'll report back sometime in the near future about if this panel gets picked up or not. It should be cool. Should be cool if it does. But if not, I mean it was worth a try and you know, I still did the legwork. I think it's a solid idea. You know, I can write a decent pitch. Okay. So we're going to send it over to the short discussion with Denise. I think it's about 16 minutes long. If I remember right, I'll link up to the other interviews that I've done with Denise. And I'll also link up to my course, multi-profit site. Like I said, enrollment will be open from April's 17th to the 21st 2023 so if you're listening to it around this time frame during that week you can follow the link in the description you can uh, check out the details and sign up if you want to if you have any questions you could shoot me an email if it is not during that period still follow the link you could sign up for i think there's a wait list basically make sure you're on my email list and you'll be notified in the future if you have any questions or anything like that, or if it's not for sale um, when you're trying to check it out, you can shoot me an email, Doug nichesiteproject.com, and ask whatever question you need. If you're like, hey, when when does it open back up or, or whatever, just let me know. So here's Denise and we'll also link up. She's writing blog posts over at Niche site Project to follow along. So there's graphs and charts and some of her own personal thoughts that she wrote down in my blog for me. So thanks a lot to Denise and we'll, we'll send it over there now. Hey, what's going on? We're going to get a quick update from Denise and Denise went full-time uh, not too long ago. She is part of the coaching case study that we're going to be working on together in 2023. And I, I work with a handful of my students, not too many, but people that enroll in my course are uh, they're somewhat eligible to work with me and do these live sort of uh, ongoing case studies. So we're going to hear about Denise's story, what she's working on, any challenges that she's had, um, ch- upcoming challenges, and what she's going to be working on. So Denise, let's get a quick intro for people that don't know you. We will link to some of the other interviews we've done, but who are you? What's your background? What are you all about?
1: All right. Hey, Doug. Hi, everybody again. Um yeah. Glad to be doing this. My, just a quick intro, my background is in marketing. So I've been in marketing, kind of a creative person my entire life, always been into art and painting and graphic design. So I probably have been building websites since really young, and I'm not going to spoil, going to have to listen to the other interview to know about my, my website at 12 years old. But um, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time, but it wasn't until probably 2015 or so that i left my job at the time spent a year traveling kind of took a sabbatical uh, needed a break uh, started doing a lot of things on my own freelancing and i think it was around that time that i came across uh, pet flint's podcast and that was my introduction to this world of passive income so ever since then uh, i ended up going back to corporate um i'm director of marketing until about a couple months ago, and uh, going full time. So in 2021, decided that blogging and niche sites was something that I really wanted to pursue and learn more. Uh, Took some SEO courses, started learning more about that, and then kind of came across the idea that you could actually acquire a site. Uh, So since 2021 I ended up acquiring two sites, which are the ones that I'm going to be working on, uh, for these case studies.
0: So you quit your corporate job. How did it feel? Were you nervous or are you currently nervous from taking the big step?
1: I mean, if anybody jumping off of a job that pays you, you know, well into the six figures to go, uh, blogging on something that is not really making that much. I mean, you know, barely pays my bills right now, but, uh, it got to that point that, you know, my day job was getting in the way of, of my niche sites. So I think, yes, definitely (laughs) there's that, you know, point of being nervous for sure. But, uh, I've, you know, happy. I think it was something that I had been working towards for several years and, you know, being part of the Phi community and all of that it was uh you know this is what i've been working towards for for quite some time and uh just glad to be to be doing that
0: cool yeah it is um it's scary because i mean you don't know how it's going to turn out and you can't blame anyone else when you have a job you could like blame your boss or some other stuff or whatever but yeah you own everything you make all the decisions and that's one of the things that we've been working on kind of to get you focused. So how many sites do you have? You mentioned, you know, you've acquired two, um, how many sites will you be focusing on as well? So that's kind of a loaded question, but yeah,
1: I think the last time I counted, I believe I have six websites. Um, you know, they mostly a couple of them make a little bit of money here and there. The two large ones that I acquired, um, they're both in the travel niche, uh, very different topics, audiences. Um, but those are the two that I'm going to be focusing on. They are kind of the, the big money makers. Um, so following your advice, I'm going to put the other ones aside. I'm not going to touch them and, uh, you know, just focus on these two, which, you know, since we started working together, even working on the two has been really difficult. Um, so there is obviously the one site that I'm focusing a little bit more on now.
0: Everything takes longer than you think, right? You're like, (laughs) I'm going to do whatever, like 50 blog posts this month. And then you get started and you're through like 10 or something. do you have any specific stories like similar to that from our time working together?
1: I think, you know, it was that I'm just going to do all of these things, right? Like the, so the first time we met, I had this list of like, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do for each one of the sites, you know, opportunities. And you're like, yeah, forget <laughs> all of these, focus on these two. Um, and I think, you know, even just, I have time now, right? Like I'm full-time doing this, wake up, walk the dog, have a cup of coffee, um, start working. But with that comes is like, okay, now there's all of these things that I need to do and everything is just takes longer, right? So one thing that I'm doing is optimizing old posts. Um, It's not as easy as just going back and taking something that exists and do a quick update. No, then I'm going, I'm like, let me do keyword research on this post, see what else I can rank for. Uh, What are all the, the opportunities I have for affiliates to include in here? And then when you look at it, you know, it takes me probably longer to update old content than if I were to just sit down and write new stuff. So I think that that was part of uh, one of the lessons that, you know, like, (laughs) what you know, reality checks for sure.
0: And this is going to be a short one, but I can't help but I, I do the same thing where I'm like, I'm doing too many things. It's just easier to, I mean, you I'm coaching you, right? So I can mm-hmm. like, see it very clearly. And um, you could see it very clearly if I was like, hey, I'm working on this stuff. You would just say, why are you doing, like, just work on the one thing. Like, why are you working yeah. on like six other things? But I did get you to go from like six sites to two. And I think you're better off for it. And I mean, you could always go back. That's the thing. You could always go back, but there's a good chance you're just going to let those sit and just move on with your life. Okay. So how are you monetizing the sites? And can you talk about some of the recent revenue numbers as much as you're comfortable uh, with sharing?
1: Absolutely. So um, both sites in total, you know, I've, I was making... I think over the holidays, because there is a seasonality, especially travel. So over the holidays, it got, you know, up, you know, over $4,000 with the two of them combined. Um, It's a mix of Mediavine and affiliates, not that much of affiliates right now. I think that that's one of the opportunities that I have to really focus more on that. But overall, kind of in the regular months, the past couple of months, the average, on site one has been somewhere between 1500 and 2500. And then site two is pretty steady at around 800. You know, like I've gotten a couple of like, over $1,000 on that one. Uh, But yeah, on average, two of them combined, I would say somewhere like the 2000 a little bit, you know, like solid 2000 up.
0: Okay. 2000 to 4,000, depending on seasonality Mm -hmm. and you live, I can't remember if we say where you live, but you don't have to mention it, but it's like a, it's like a tier, um, one type city in the U S so kind of expensive is the point, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: kind of <laughs> I mean, I can
1: say I'm in my, I'm in Miami. Yeah, uh, it's a big city. Yeah, so <laughs> I think I, well, and I think it's like number one in the, you know, cost of living right now because oh, salaries shit, really? do. Yeah. It's like, it's like, because the salaries are low compared okay. to New York or San Francisco. So yeah. Oh
0: and, man. Yeah. So, and I'm, yeah. I'm no, in the Denver area. It's kind of pricey, but like, I think it's, you know, I think it's like in the middle or something like that. It's so what are your main things to do, your goals over the next, say, three months, a quarter?
1: I did a lot of housekeeping. So I did change the theme on both sites. Uh, that was something that I had been wanting to do for quite some time because I felt that that was keeping me from doing a lot of things that I wanted to do with the sites. Uh, now I have a theme that I'm comfortable working on with, you um, You know, I've seen a lot of improvements on traffic and speed just by, by doing that. Um, so I did do a lot of that housekeeping. I do want to start optimizing posts that I have high traffic already. So, you know, those posts are already popular. What can I do on there to perhaps, you know, add affiliate opportunities that I've been missing out. Um, I did find a lot of affiliate links and things that were not working um old things so there's just a lot of that especially you know you buy a site that you're not f- fully familiar <laughs> with the right. content like I know all those destinations but you know how the the, the website was built and those links that were included uh, so it's a little bit of a, a process and um, you know just start building email list adding more content creating content clusters. Um, again, there's a lot of things to do, and this is why I need Doug to tell me what to focus on, right. <laughs> because otherwise I'm not going to make it very far.
0: Okay. Yeah, there's there's plenty to do. And w- one thing I'll, I want to just go a little deeper on, you said that you felt like the theme was holding you back. And that's an area where often I'm like, oh, you know, don't worry about the theme. Like who cares? Just move forward. Why was your theme holding you back?
1: Well, on each site it was a different reason. Uh, site one, it was something that was a little outdated. Uh, the site had been built on a Chayo theme to the Genesis framework, which is a great framework. But because it was a Chayo theme, There were certain things in there that I couldn't change. And, you know, technology had evolved with blocks and all of that, and it was just clunky and hard to manage that site. So that was with site one, um, just limiting what I could do and kind of, you know, not being able to use uh, features that are newer. And then for site two, um, you know, love Mediavine, but uh, it was built on the trellis. Uh, theme, so not only you know we got to pay. I don't know. I think it was like fifteen bucks a month or something. Um, is was what that theme cost, and it was just I just didn't like it. It was just heavy and same thing, right? Difficult to manage. Um, right. But yeah, I don't like paying for themes. I have a couple of uh, <laughs> good ones that I've yeah. paid for already that I can use in all my sites. So uh, yeah, it's okay. a part of it was more of that part of that, like speed and just the ability to, um, design and make changes.
0: Okay. Got it. All right. Last couple questions here. So any major setbacks or failures in your journey so far, it's only been a few years, but yeah, any kind of issues you've run into
1: um, I'll say this. I don't think that there's like big things other than obviously the shiny object syndrome, which is the reason why I came to you and I asked you know to <laughs> kind of be a part of your your coaching program so you can help me stay focused. Um, but I'll say a couple of things that I did not expect buying a site. I think if you buy perhaps a niche site, you know product reviews or something, you wouldn't run into that. but I did struggle to connect with the content on the site. So for a long time, it was like, this is great. I've been to, it's a travel place. I've been to all of these locations or, you know, 98% of them. Um, I have that experience. I can talk about it. I've done it. I love travel. But the bulk of the content was written by somebody else and it had somebody else's perspective and voice. And for a long time, I found myself... When I started adding content, I found myself trying to mimic that voice instead of my, you know, putting my own. So I think I'm still struggling with that. Uh, Changing the theme definitely helped, Um, you know, kind of just being now that I'm able to do this more kind of spend more time working on the blog. Uh, interacting with the email list and kind of having those interactions with people. It's making it a little bit more comfortable feeling, okay, this is my own, like this yeah. is, you know, from that point on, this is, this is mine. So I think this is that mindset um, shift that you got to do. And is just in, embrace it. it. It is a business at the end of the day, but I think just because of the nature of a travel website, it does, there's a benefit to being a little bit more personal in mm-hmm. what, the content that you're doing
0: and you're a traveler too. So it makes sense that you wanted to connect with it long-term goals. So say, I don't know, two years out, five years out, something like that. What do you want this to look like?
1: Well, money wise, for sure. I would like to, uh, get close to (laughs) what I was making and salary, hopefully more even, uh, but you know, I left my job knowing that there is going to be a period there that I'm not going to make be making a whole lot. And there was a conscious decision, I'm ready for it. But for sure, uh, there is a, a financial uh, component there. And eventually, when I get more, I think in that two five year range, I think I would like to be at a place where I have more freedom, the sites are generating enough that I can then focus in building other things in pursuing other projects, other uh, businesses that I'm interested in. So I okay. think that that's the and hopefully, you know, be able to travel more, uh, which was right. a big part of this, right? Like right. just uh, be able to work from anywhere. Um, cool. And have have more security, I think, in the next year. And then from there, kind of just expand and be able to do other
0: things. Perfect. Thanks, Denise. So people can check out your blog posts where we're going to be publishing like monthly updates. We'll link up to the other interviews that you've done as well. So thanks a lot. And we'll catch up in just a few more days.
1: Awesome. Thank you. I can't wait to be sharing all of this journey and you guys are keeping me honest. So this is good.